us. Yep. If you're new with us, uh, we're right in the middle of a sermon series called uh, Tale of Two Houses, where we've taken a look at a story that Jesus tells of two men. First man uh, builds his house on a a firm foundation, that when uh, the storms of life come, when the trials come, when the troubles rise up, it remained. It stood firm. But Jesus says there was another man who built his house on sand, who built his house on a weak foundation, so that when the storms came, the trials came, the troubles rose up, it came falling down with a great crash. And so the question, the question is a simple one, but rather difficult for us to answer. And it is that, are you building your life on a firm foundation? Are you building your life on a firm foundation, or are you building your life on the things that will eventually cause you to sink? Are you rooted, grounded, sturdy, established, steady in the things that will keep you upright, even when the world around you seems to be turning upside down? Will you remain steady in that, or are you unbalanced? So today we're going to talk about one of uh, the greatest tools, I think, one of the greatest tools, I think, in building a firm foundation for our lives, and that is meaningful relationships. The meaningful relationships that have a deep and significant impact on our life and on our faith. But I need your help with this, okay? Um, So... Uh, Some of you are going to love this. Some of you are going to absolutely hate this. Uh, If I'm honest, if I was sitting where you are sitting and you were up here asking me to do what I'm about to ask you to do, uh, I would despise it, okay? So let's just get that out of our system, all right? But I think that this will actually be good for all of us, and, uh, and I need you all to participate. So I want you to turn to the person next to you Introverts, you just knew that I was going to say that, didn't you? Um, And you hate that. Uh, So I want you to turn to the person next to you, and I want you to give them the name of someone who who you feel like God has used to make an impact in your faith, to make your faith stronger, deeper, or bigger. The name of one person, extroverts, listen up, just one person, the name of one person, of someone who has impacted your faith. And for those of you who think, you know, look, I don't have permission to play. Uh, I I don't have that deep of a faith. I, I have too many doubts. Let me ask you the same question this way. Who is that one person who maybe, who maybe sparked an initial curiosity of faith within you? Who's that person who maybe just sparked an initial curiosity of faith within you? It might be a distant memory, uh, but I bet that that memory is still there. So, you have your assignment. Name one person who has impacted your faith or who has at least given you that initial curiosity of faith uh, in your life. You have your assignment. I'll wait. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was definitely an introvert that just yelled that. All right, so uh, if, if I were you and I had to answer my own question, I would have a pretty hard time answering that question. Uh, not because there's too few, but because really there's, there's too many than, than just one. Uh, but since I'm not you, and since I need to fill up some time in this sermon, um, I'm going to list a few, actually. Uh, so the first one that I, I have to mention is, uh, is my wife uh, and her family. Uh, some of you have heard this story before, so I'm not going to rehash it. But um, I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't going to church or anything. But I did think this one girl was really, really cute. Uh, turns out she was the pastor's daughter, so I started showing up in church a whole lot. Um, and, uh, and that relationship uh, just really sparked that initial curiosity of faith for me. Uh, her family surrounded me, nurtured my faith, uh, supported it, and, uh, and deepened my faith in a significant way over the last 12 years or so of my life. Uh, another kind of early one is uh, the pastor of... Um, uh, campus ministry that I was a part of at Florida State. Uh, his support of me uh, became my mentor uh, through kind of the ordination process of becoming a pastor, and also that community at that time in my life that, that supported me, encouraged me, surrounded me with, with great, deep Christian community. Um, and then a third, from kind of that same period in my life, that early stage of uh, when I was in college, I had a roommate named John Stonebreaker, which is what a great last name that is, right? Stonebreaker. Uh, But John, um, so he had me, I was kind of like fresh, new into this whole Christian thing. And John was this devout cradle Episcopalian. And if you know anything about Episcopalians, Episcopalians incorporate a lot of liturgy and, uh, and ritual into their worship uh, together, but also into uh, their daily disciplines. And so there was a season in my life where kind of my newfound passion and excitement and love for God just kind of plateaued, and it was beginning to sort of dip off the end. And And so John, my roommate, what he would do is that he would wake me up at 5.30 every Monday and Wednesday morning. Now, 5.30 doesn't sound uh, that bad now that I have kids, um, but 5.30 to a college student was ridiculously early. And he would wake me up and we would go to morning prayer. That every week we'd show up at this church and we'd pray pretty much the same prayers time and time and time again, the same order. But it took that rhythm, it took that discipline, it took that habitual practice to get me out of the rut that I was in and to make me fall in love with God all over again. And if we had more time, uh, I'd love to just sit here and and share about every significant relationship, every deep relationship that I've had uh, that has deepened my faith in God. Um, But looking back, these were all sort of providential relationships. Looking back, I can see how God uh, has used these people to intersect and impact my life, that they came in my faith journey kind of for such a time as this. This is exactly who I needed, exactly what I needed at the right time that I needed it. And to me, it seems that You know, whenever you hear a testimony, whenever you hear somebody share about their faith story, 
about someone coming to faith, maybe for the first time or coming back to faith, it seems that you always hear about relationships. You always hear about deep and significant relationships and the role that they played in someone's faith. So maybe it was a youth director. Maybe it was somebody in youth group. Maybe it was somebody that invited you to a small group Bible study. It was a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, whoever. It always seems to involve a relationship. In fact, I've never heard a testimony from someone that went like this. I discovered God all on my own. Me too. <laughs> all on my own. It had nothing to do with others. There was no influence from the outside. It was as if my faith just blossomed from within a vacuum. You just don't really hear stories like that. Instead, you hear stories of deep relationships that led to a deeper relationship with God because God knows this. The relationships are really what makes us who we are. When we think about our character, we think about those people who have shaped and formed our character and our lives, those deep relationships. And so it's no wonder that God uses the most important things, the most powerful things in our lives, our relationships, to impact our faith. That God uses the most important aspects of our lives, our relationships, to grow, to expand our faith. And so I want to take you to one of my favorite stories um, in the Bible, uh, because it's a story that's really just all about relationships, and how relationships play a significant part in our faith, even, even when God seems absent. And so this is the book of Ruth, and, uh, and what's so fascinating about the book of Ruth is that God does seem absent throughout it. That God is only mentioned a few times throughout this uh, short book, and God doesn't show up with miracles or loud booming announcements. There's no angels, there's no healing stories, but it's a book about how God shows up through people. It's a book about how God shows up through interesting relationships. And so uh, it starts off with, with really just an awkward relationship, starts off with really just kind of an awkward conversation. So here's how the book of Ruth begins. And I'll have to kind of teach through some of this, so just kind of hang with me um, here for a second. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, or in the days when the judges were judging, uh, this is a, a a time marker for us. Uh, so this was a really bad time in the history of Israel. Um, this was a bad time for the Jewish people because there were no kings. Instead, what they had were they had these judges who would kind of rule over the people. But the problem is that these judges were terrible people for the most part. I mean, they were pretty bad. Uh, so this was a terrible time. This was a time when people did what they wanted, when they wanted, with whom they wanted to, and a lot of people ended up getting hurt. So in the middle of all this that's going on, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. No duh. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Okay, so Moab. Let me tell you about Moab. Moab was a bad place. Moab was a really bad place. Moab was kind of the other side of the tracks. To get there from Israel, you had to cross the Dead Sea or go around the Dead Sea. And the people who lived in Moab were called 
Moabites, um, no surprise there, um, but the Israelites and the Moabites did not mix. They did not play well together. Um, <clears throat> the Moabites were like these kind of half-breeds in the eyes of the Jewish people. They had roots in Judaism, uh, but those were that tie was broken long ago. They were stereotyped as being uh, sexually promiscuous. That was one of the, the big things that the, the Jewish people had against them. We can talk about that uh, some other time. Uh, but the Moabites were the ones that everyone was talking about around the Mediterranean. Mediterranean basin. And not only that, but they worshipped. They worshipped other gods besides the one true God of Israel. So the story goes on, and it says, the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. So you kind of get the picture here. Elimelech and Naomi immigrate uh, to Moab because Israel is in shambles. There's a famine in the land. It's a place that they don't really want to go to, but really they have no other choice. So they show up in Moab with their two sons, and they realize their sons need to get married, which is... Good news, except for there's one huge problem. There's no Israelite women in the land of Moab. There's only Moabite women. And Moabite women were not suitable mates for Israelites. And so this would be terrible. I know we, it's a hard connection for us, but this would be terrible. This is like your sons marrying your enemy. And you having the worst daughter-in-law that you could ever imagine. I know some of you think that you have the worst daughter-in-law. She's not a Moabite, okay? (laughs) She's not a Moabite. Um, And on top of that, on top of that, God's law was clear uh, that... That God's law was that uh, Israelites could not intermarry with people of other races or cultures. And it's not because God was against intermarriage, but instead the issue was that back in this time when you would marry someone of a different region, you not only got them, but you also got their gods. And so what God was trying to do was God was trying to keep Israel, the nation of Israel, religiously pure. But hey, when you're in Moab, you do as the Moabites do. Uh, So they marry off their two sons uh, to Moabite women. uh, But time goes on, and this is what happens next. It says, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, but just a fun fact. Oprah was named after uh, Orpah, but there was a typo on her birth certificate, so she just went with it. It should be the Orpah show, but it's the Oprah show. Uh, So they married Moabite women, one named Orpah, the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years, but Malon and Kilon also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, Naomi, a Jewish woman, is all alone in Moab. And the only family that she has around are her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. And so what Naomi decides is she decides, well, God has left me. 
God has abandoned me. God has cursed me. And so Naomi decides that she's going to head back to Israel. She's going to head back to Bethlehem. And she essentially says to her daughters-in-law, it's over. This relationship is, is over. Don't come with me. Instead, go back. Go back to your homeland. Go back to your people. Uh, Israel is no place for you. And now that my sons, your husbands, have passed away, there is nothing that binds us together anymore. But Ruth and Orpah, they they try to get her to change uh, her mind. They even uh, beg to go with her. But Naomi keeps saying, no, no, no. The story goes on, and it says, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. Orpah says, you're right. There's nothing for me in the place where you are going to. But, but Ruth clung to her. Now this was a dangerous decision on Ruth's part. You see, Orpah takes the rational way out. What she does makes sense. But Ruth decides to stay. And it was a dangerous decision because this was a dangerous world for women. The world today is still a dangerous world for women, but especially back then. Naomi says, you don't understand. These people are not your people. That you're a Moabite and people know who you are and they know what you are known for. You, you can't come with me. These people that I'm going to, they're not your people. You'll be a foreigner in a strange land and one day when I'm gone, you will be a Moabite in Israel. It's, it's all way too dangerous for you. But it says that Ruth clung to her. And that word is so important It's the same word that was used in Genesis chapter 2 when uh, Adam and Eve became one flesh. They clung to one another. So it was as if Ruth was saying, I didn't just marry your son. I married into this family. Naomi, I'm married to you. I'm committed to you. I will be faithful to you. I'm here to stay, even though I know it would be easier to just walk away right now. And then in one of the most beautiful passages in all of the Old Testament, one of the most beautiful passages in all of ancient literature, uh, Ruth goes on to say this. You might remember it. it. says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I love how that just ends there. The most beautiful statement that we have in like all of scripture and Naomi kind of just gives up, right? She just relents. Fine, come along. Um, But Ruth, Ruth decided to stay when it would have been easier to go. 
And she wasn't staying with Naomi in hopes that she would be blessed. She knew that this would be a difficult and a dangerous journey. She wasn't staying with Naomi to get something for, her, for herself. Ruth stayed with Naomi to be a blessing to her. The young widow to be a blessing to the older widow. And so just imagine this. Just imagine this. Naomi comes back into town. Naomi comes back into town and everyone is talking. Is that Naomi over there? Where did she disappear off to her? What, what, what happened to her? Wait, is that a Moabite with her? What's she doing here? And everyone is talking when she comes into town. And this is what it says. It says, when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred. I love that. The whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Naomi's name, her given name means pleasant or sweet. But now Naomi says, don't call me that. I'm not sweet. I'm not pleasant anymore. I've, I've seen some things. Instead, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Call me Mara. Call me bitterness. So, have you ever changed your name to bitterness? Has there ever been a season in your life that you've gone through where, where a root of bitterness has, has sprung up within you? Have you ever felt like God had abandoned you? Have you ever felt like you were all alone, that the very waters of your soul had been troubled? And where exactly is God in the middle of all of this anyways. I mean, where, where is God showing up? Where is God leading? Where is the voice of God shouting out to Naomi, telling her, keep your head up? Where are the angels and the heavenly hosts saying, don't worry about a thing because every little thing is going to be all right? Where is that? Where is God in this moment? Now, I don't want to give too much away. I hope that you'll go home and you'll read how the story actually ends. But spoiler alert, God does show up. And God shows up in an unexpected way. God shows up through Ruth. And then later, God shows up through a stranger named Boaz. And then years later, God will show up through a grandchild born to Ruth who would be named Obed the grandfather of King David, who would establish a lineage for Jesus of Nazareth, the Savior of the world, who would give his life for all, all people. There's always more to the story. 
There's always more to the story than bitterness and death. There's always more to the story than loneliness and loss. There's always more to the story than what happens in a particular season of your life. There's always more to the story because we have a God who loves great endings. That our God is a God of miracles, even in the midst of misfortune. That our God is a God of the way out, a God of second chances, a God of new beginnings, a God of hope. And do you know how God loves to make all of that happen? Through relationships. Through relationships. The same way that God made it happen for Naomi that God leveraged a deep relationship to deepen her faith in God. God used Ruth, a Moabite, to bring Naomi's bitterness back to sweetness, her loss back to gain, her despair back to hope, her heartbreak back to joy, all because Ruth was steadfast, Ruth was loyal. Ruth was faithful, trusting even beyond where she could see, even beyond where she knew this journey would take her to. And every life needs a voice saying, don't give up. Every person needs another person saying, it's not over. There's more to the story. Hebrews twelve fifteen says this. It says, see to it. That means... This is your responsibility. This is on you. See to it. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Naomi. Naomi, don't fall short of the grace of God. Don't allow bitterness to take root. Don't call yourself Mara because God can do great things through your life. And one day, I pray that looking back on all of it, you'll be able to call yourself once again, not bitter, but sweet. Ruth remained faithful to Naomi, trusting in Naomi's God, even though she didn't have it all figured out, even though she hardly knew who this God was. But she lived her life in such a way that she became living proof of a loving God. She became living proof of a loving God. And isn't that Jesus' call on all of our lives when he called us to follow him? that we would become living proof of a loving God that those around us could witness and testify to one day. And so let me ask you, is, is, there, is there a Naomi in your life? Is there someone who's ready to just cash in the chips, call it all off, call herself, himself, Mara, bitter? Who do you maybe need to be a Ruth to? Who do you need to speak life, those words of life, into once again, saying, don't give up. It's not over. There's more to this story, and I will be here with you. I will walk with you every step of this journey, and I will trust in God even though you may not right now. I will trust in God even though I don't have it all figured out. I'll trust. I'll remain faithful, committed, committed. 
and through it all, I will cling to you as we grasp for God. Galatians 6, 9 says this. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do not become weary of doing good. Do not become weary of showing up because, because sometimes the greatest act of faith is simply faithfulness. Showing up time after time after time again. And maybe God is calling you to stay. To stay where you are even though it would be so much easier to go and walk away. Maybe God is calling you to stay in a relationship, in a marriage, in a friendship, in a discipling relationship, in in a mentoring relationship, when it would be so much easier to just walk away. And maybe that's the rational thing, to return back home. But maybe God could use that act of faithfulness, commitment, staying to expound and expand your faith and theirs. And here's what else I know. Is that oftentimes, deep relationships are formed amidst deeply awkward moments. It's like the story of Ruth and Naomi as they stood on the border of Moab and Naomi's telling Ruth, look, I don't really want you in my life anymore. Just go back home. And Ruth says, no, that was an awkward moment. But it's in those awkward moments where relationships can deepen. And so maybe you know some people in your life that that you're concerned about. You're concerned about their health. You're concerned about their marriage. You're concerned about how they don't talk about their marriage. You're concerned about how they talk about their jobs. You're concerned about how they talk about their families. You're concerned about the ways that they use humor. You're concerned about their habits. And maybe it's time for you to have an awkward moment. And maybe it's time for you to say, look, I I know it's none of my business, but I, I couldn't help but hear. I couldn't help but think. I I couldn't help, but, and that's so awkward. (laughs) I know it is. But for you to say, look, I can't just sit back and pray. Look, I, I can't just sit back and just be concerned. I can't just sit back and just watch this go on without saying something. And maybe at the end of the day, Maybe at the end of the journey, they could say, you know, God brought him, you. God brought her, you, to intersect and impact my faith right when I need it, right how I need it that providential relationship of someone who is faithful, who is committed, someone who clung. Because you'll never know. You'll never know what hangs in the balance of your decision to stay, 
to remain faithful, committed, to cling, and the impact that that has on someone else's faith. It just might be that you help them, that you help them build or maybe rebuild their life on a firm foundation. Let's pray. So God, we thank you. We thank you for all of those people that have been in our lives, that have made us who we are and have brought us here today. Lord, for some of us, that might be one another in this room, and we give you thanks for that. God, help us to honor those relationships, to be committed. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you also give us courage to maybe form some of those, to deepen the relationships that we have. Because God, you showed us the way. that you loved us so much, that you were faithful to us so much, even when we disobeyed, even when we went the wrong way, even when we tried to push you away, you came into our lives in the form of a human, in the form of Jesus, to take on our sins and our pain and our shame, to show us how much you love us, how committed you are to us. And so God, help us Help us have that same spirit that we may show love to one another. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen.